Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorita Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or transition to a new career, you've come to the right place. As always, if you liked this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Today, I'm sitting down with Camela Ari Nudo, a mindset and alignment coach, and the author of Swipeable, Avoid the Eight Mistakes Men Make, on dating apps and discover what women actually want. That's a little bit of a mouthful. <laughs> Camela, hello, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to uh, chat with you today. Thanks, Yuri. I'm super pumped to be here. And you're right, it's absolutely a mouthful, which is why I just call it swipeable to everyone because everyone's always like, man, Camela, you really picked a lengthy subtitle on that one, didn't you? So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, listen, I, I totally get it. You, you kept, caught a lot of keywords all in one there, so it, uh, it makes sense. Yeah, definitely no confusion about what is this book about. <laughs> exactly. Right there. Exactly. I like it. it. Lays it out very, very, very neatly. So, how are things in your neck of the woods? Uh, in business, or personally, or or just wherever you are regionally, whichever you, however you prefer to answer that question. We'll we'll leave it open like that. Oh. Cool. Well, I like open-ended questions. Um, things in my neck of the words are busy. I mean, I think that a lot of um, the people in my personal life and in my business life are seeing a lot of transitions right now. I mean, obviously, we've spent the better part of this year going all virtual. So everyone's business is shifting. Everyone's like home life is shifting. Mm -hmm. I think in some ways for the better and, and ideally, you know, we take the lessons and the good parts of this year and then um, Weather-wise, just has been super weird um, in the East Bay here of California near San Francisco. It's, I mean, it's 80 degrees, and we should be not that. So I think everything, <laughs> even the climate, is feeling the difference of this year for sure. Yeah, interesting. So for my listeners who are less familiar with you, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Hmm. Great question. I think the easiest way to describe what I do is I'm really good at asking the question, why do you want that? And I think that that's one of the most important questions that I didn't begin to ask myself until, you know, late teens, very early adulthood. And even that is very, very, very early. So what some people um, that I've talked to since then think about and I'm just really good at boiling down exactly why we're pursuing objectives or having ideas or you know, even having belief systems. And that's really what I pride myself on being able to do for people, because I think that there are no wrong decisions. There are just the decisions that you make in any given moment. Um, so that's what I specialize in. Yeah, very interesting. So let's, let's talk about your background. So what initially made you want to study psychology and then international relations? So when I was younger, I was fascinated with sex trafficking, and I really wanted to work in the nonprofit sector mm -hmm. as a prosecutor and also working on the um, therapeutic side of things. And after I got to college, I, you know, discovered that was not where I really wanted my path to be. It felt very reactive and not very preventative. So I dropped the 
part of like the half side of it, which was my pre-legal because I was positioned to go to law school at that point in my life. And then I decided I wanted to still explore things. I find politics fascinating. I think that the way that we think about politics is interesting. Everything about politics just is really interesting to me. So I was like, well, you know, I want to look at it on a grand scale. So that's why the international relations part of it. And then um, psychology just kind of stuck on. And over time, those two kind of blended in a really interesting way, which is the birthplace of the book. So um, definitely lots of unexpected turns, but I guess just again, my inquisitive nature of just wanting to know more about people specifically, and then on a grand scale. Yeah, interesting. So, so you said it was the birthplace of the book. What does so? What do you mean by that? And and what made you want to write Swipeable? Yeah, the reason I call it the birthplace of the book is because when I was in college and finishing up my undergrad, for one of the departments, you have to write a senior thesis. It's supposed to be a capstone about you know something that interests you. And along the way, there had been this bet that was going on between one of my roommates and I about my love in passion for online dating apps and specifically how much I love to talk about Tinder. And so it just kind of became a running bet that to see if I could actually write a paper in every class about that topic. So I looked at it from an economics perspective. I looked at it from kind of like a global business perspective. And then I started looking at it from the psychology aspect of it and, you know, what it does to self-esteem and why people do X and why they do Y. And eventually I decided that I really was fascinated with exploring the intersection of the two. So how politics and online dating play together. So my um, final senior thesis was actually entitled Modern Day Capulets and Montagues, an analysis on um, Democrats and Republicans and how their dating app decisions play out. So Mm -hmm. it was really an experiment and an in-depth look to see how really our interactions on Tinder and Bumble play into our politics. Um, And then eventually from there, I just decided I wanted to talk about online dating further and ended up writing Swipeable and here we are. Yeah, so although this wasn't where I was gonna go with this, but so how do politics play into (laughs) Tinder dating? Uh, It's funny because everyone who ever asked me that, they're like, I did not know this was a question I would ever ask, but now I wish to ask it. (laughs) Um, So yeah, and I love talking about it. So definitely happy to. So one of the things that's been really interesting is our political spectrum in terms of our ideological humps, um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the midpoints of Democrat and Republican ideology, we're fairly close together until really the rise of the internet kind of coincided with separation of ideology. And we see the polarization that we see now. Along the same terms, obviously, dating apps, the internet, Match, eHarmony, those sort of things have played a really large role in the way that we interact with our potential partners. And now in the United States, 40% of people who get married are marrying someone that they meet online. And that's a drastic change from what it used to be, you know, 50, 100 years ago, where people are really interacting based on who they knew in their social circles and who they knew in church and that sort of thing. So it definitely has an effect because it changes, well, one, it changes the way that we relate to other people because for some people, politics is such an important part of their identity that they can't fathom not disclosing that on a dating app. And for other people, it rebuffs potential partners. Um, And the scary conclusion of my thesis was that if we don't start talking about this and thinking about this 
and instead we just train our algorithms to filter out people just based on their political party what we're going to see in five generations which has already been mapped out by some researchers is mm -hmm. really just drastic polarization of children being raised in households where both parents are very very extreme in one ideology so you get less moderates less bipartisan efforts and overall just much more extreme in five generations than even what we see today which you know we already see a very polarized state of our country so mm -hmm. it has a propensity to go really really far and really really scary but again it's kind of a weird thing to think about is does tinder and politics even you know go hand in hand yeah yeah although not the more you describe it the more it it, it makes sense makes sense <laughs> you're like hmm, yes that does make sense and and yeah. it really was like a very close to home topic for me personally when i was writing it because my fiance um or i guess husband at the time of this recording or at the time of the publishing of this episode um he and i met on tinder and we always have a running joke that had he put his political party in his bio i don't know that i would have ever been interested in going on a date with him so hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's wow. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that you have, uh, you know, overcome the thesis part um, of your, of your yeah, own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I will be raising more moderate children. <laughs> that yeah. is for sure. Yeah. So what was, so briefly, what was the process like of taking this project and then actually publishing it? Um, you know, what's interesting is my book doesn't really deal with the political aspect of it my book was really just after spending so much time thinking about tinder i really mm -hmm. just wanted to boil down you know what what works on tinder and what doesn't after all the research that i did for parts of my theses and also i spent about five years writing profiles for other people um, i actually freelanced in it as a part of my project for a bit and i would actually go and edit people's pictures and edit people's bios and so after five years of that i just found myself kind of saying the same thing over and over and over again mm -hmm. and i was like you know wouldn't it be just easy if i could just hand someone something and be like here take this um so that's kind of what it was it's it's really meant to serve as a quick guide and um doesn't really deal with the political aspect of it although i think it's mentioned a few times okay all right it's good it's good to know so let's let's switch over then to to what you're doing now and so so what does it mean to be a success in mindset coach hmm well alignment for me refers to the practical so i think a lot of the times when people hear alignment they think of um, you know spiritual alignment that sort of thing i'm more on the practical side of things in terms of analyzing like i said why we do what we do and mm -hmm. really aligning our values to our day-to-day -day decisions. So I think our values, values are kind of that word that, that's like you hear all the time, but um, beyond saying like, oh, I you know, have strong values. A lot of people don't take analysis into really what are their core values and what do they seek to gain from life. Um, so really what I do is I help people zone in on what they value and how that plays out in their day-to-day -day and how they can just make, small corrections that end up having big results in being more aligned and feeling more at peace with the decisions that they're making. Okay. And how, so how did your career progress in, into this, this new um, area that you're starting? Yeah, I was sitting in a conference room one day and someone was talking about values and I'd never thought to think about it. I wrote it down there and really realized how outside of alignment my life was and the terms of what I valued and 
what I was striving for. I mean, I was in a career that I was good at, but I didn't love anymore Mm -hmm. and really didn't align with my freedom values, my curiosity value. And so from there, it was just kind of like a path for me to align my own life. And the more I aligned my life, I realized how much high performers specifically, and really, you know, the entrepreneurs and that sort of thing are stuck in these patterns of just chasing what everyone else seems to be chasing and not chasing what they want to be chasing. So I started talking about it more and people started asking me more questions. And then eventually, you know, um, Camilla, can we coach? So here we are. Yeah. Oh, good. So you mentioned, you know, people stuck in their patterns. And I know that's a, that's a very common thing from, for most people. Um, so how are some, how are some ways that you suggest people, if not on stick themselves, but at least realize that what they're doing is, is real, you know, reliving the same pattern over and over and over again. Yeah. Counterproductive. Well, yeah, I think it just really starts with having an, a heart to heart conversation with yourself of like, what matters to me? What's important for me to achieve, to feel fulfilled, not to feel successful, not to feel plenty of other words and plenty of other feelings, but what will make me feel peaceful and what will make me feel fulfilled and really sitting down to analyze the words that come up and boiling it down to what are the five things that matter to me the most. And then sitting those five things alongside everything else in your life and looking at your day to day, like what does your routines, what do your habits look like? What do your relationships look like? Like do the people in your life align with the things that you profess to care the most about? And if they don't, then why is that? I've noticed on your on your website there is so there's a lot of certifications that you have from from NLP to time techniques to to Reiki. What so when you yourself decide to get a new certification, what it is about like some of these items that attracted you and and why did you choose to get certifications in a few of these areas? Yeah, well, I really just wanted to go deeper into myself. Um, a lot of people that I knew and a lot of my friends and talked about NLP and, and really what you find on the outside or on the other side, I should say, of working with your subconscious and, and taking a look at kind of the patterns that we hold in our subconscious, not just, you know, what does my brain say when I ask my brain one specific question. So I really just got into it to learn more about myself and then along the way um, became certified in it. And the other things most of them relate, you know, to that subconscious and how those things play out. Like hypnotherapy, for example, is something that is so, I think can be so transformative to people Mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of the times we see growth and change and personal development as these big ticket items that we have to work and strain. And we don't realize that not all of our personal development has to look like that. Some of it can be, you know, free flowing and easy and feel nice as well (laughs) yeah so so let's say someone listening to this is trying to decide of you know whether or not they they want to hire uh you know a a coach i guess and for lack of a better word on this one why why would you suggest that that people bring along somebody that can help them look at their you know their patterns and, and innermost thoughts and and what is it like to work with you specifically Great question. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, what role do you want people to play in your life? You have your partners, 
you have your friends, you have your bosses, and every specific person, I think, in a life carries a different responsibility, carries a different role, has the ability to ask different questions. So I think when it comes to hiring a coach, it can be really helpful to have someone reflect back to you your blind spots and things you might not even realize are blind spots from a perspective of someone who isn't your partner, isn't your friend, isn't your boss, isn't everything else. And it's hmm. funny that you asked me that because one of the things that I tell people all the time when they ask me about my relationship is that I'm not his coach. <laughs> like <laughs> there are very express times when he and I are talking and I say, hey, can coach Camilla come out right now? And that sounds so like a little bit childish, like we're in like the third grade, right? But that's an actual question that I need to ask in our dynamic, because if mm -hmm. he says no, coach Camilla is not allowed to come up. Like mm -hmm. I cannot put that cap on and view the situation and ask the questions that I normally would, because that's not my role that I'm being asked for in that moment versus the times when he's like, okay, coach me. And then it's a very different kind of conversation. So I think it all just boils down to, you know, what kinds of conversations do you want? And if it would be helpful for you to have someone to reflect things back to you from a more outsider perspective, then I think, like I said, it can be really helpful a lot of the times. And, you know, a lot of the times it just boils down to what kind of support do you need in this moment right now? Because for some people that's therapy and for some people that's coaching. Um, and for, in terms of like what it's like to work with me, um, I mean, it says it right there on the website. So if you listen to this and you go check me out, you're going to see, I'm really only willing to work with people that are ready to scuba dive the hell into themselves. And what I mean by that is, if you're not willing to go deep and be challenged, like if you're not willing to hear me ask, okay, but why, or where did you learn that? Or since when do you believe that we're not a good fit together because I'm not here to just listen to things and then tell people, Hey, here's what you should do. That's not my job. My job is to hold space and ask the question so you can reflect your own decisions back to yourself. Okay. Oh, that's very interesting. So in your, in your business, how, how have things been going since COVID and, and how are you looking at, you know, the future of 2021 uh, or beyond when, when let's say things start to get back to a little more semblance of normal and how that's going to affect your, your current company? Yeah, great question. So I think, like I said, um, I think there's going to be a lot of lasting effects from this. So one of the things that I think people are really going to be craving after this time is in-person connection. Mm -hmm. So in terms of like how I work one-on-one -on -one with people, I think in anything that I do one-on-one, -on -one, there's going to be an in-person component. Like I really look forward to being able to have in-person retreats with me and being able to like dive deep in that face-to-face -face kind of space with people. One, you know, all of this is is a little bit more tidy, so to speak. And the other thing that I've really noticed and, and that I'm working on right now is I actually... I took a step back to analyze kind of how I wanted to show up in my business and how this business kind of what the role that this business specifically plays in the world. Mm -hmm. And for me, a lot of it is really accessible um, growth and accessible healing for a lot of people. So my business in 2021 will have the option to work deep and go one-on-one -on -one with me for sure, but for a very small amount of people, um, because it's also a matter of my bandwidth. I think one of the things that I've learned during this time is that I have very limited bandwidth um, mm -hmm. and that's a good thing, you know? Um, and from the other side of things, it's a lot of lower ticket items to allow people to kind of begin to experience things like hypnotherapy and Reiki and all of those good things at a price point that's accessible. So it's available to the most amount of people. Okay. Okay. 
In so in your practice and in in your life, how do you think about and approach fear and uncertainty, and how do you push past it? Hmm. So if I can reflect something back to you, Yuri, um, sure. the the concept of pushing past fear mm-hmm. is something that I personally left years ago because when I was growing up, fear was something to be scared of. And it almost felt like every time that I was against something that was scary, I needed to just buckle down and tighten my belt, so to speak, and just do it, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is a lot of the way that we approach fear in general. As I got older, I've really sunk into becoming friends with fear. And I know that sounds a little bit woo-woo, but really to see fear as a signal for a green light. Cause most of the times that I'm scared to do something when I really sit down to think about it, my fear of success is a much bigger driver than my fear of failure. Mm. And so I think that I do like really just sit into why am I scared of something? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And see it like that green light of like, this is potentially something that's going to be really good. I just don't know what I would do if it went well um, and I did read a book, by the way, um, a couple of years ago that was called, you know, how to fall in love with your fear. Mm-hmm. And it's called, I hope that I screw this up. And so I think that I've really taken a lot of time over the past couple of years to become in love with the idea of effing up, to put it plainly, in order to grow. And now I see that as a prerequisite. So I'm not necessarily that scared of it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it does. That's that's very interesting. I've I so I've I've heard a few other guests on this show describe the the idea of fear in a, in a similar type of way of of embracing it or dancing it or I think one person said they sat down with it for tea, but um yeah the idea of of really uh, looking at it and observing it versus how I described it, which was to push past it. So that's I think yeah that's almost good. in a battleground. Yeah, you know it's yeah. funny because Elizabeth Gilbert describes it in Big Magic as it's it's coming to the point where you and fear can ride in the same car, but you get to tell it you're not driving. Mm. So it's still allowed to be there because it's never going to go away. Like, that's why I hate the word, like, be fearless. Like, that's what we should aim for. I'm like, that's fucking stupid. You're never going to be fearless. Like, you're never going to wake up as a non-human, right? At that point, you're a robot because that's just <laughs> such a human emotion that instead of spending all this time and energy running away from it, we should just turn around and be like, okay, why am I scared? Yeah. So how do you, so in, let's say in, on your clients then, when you work with them around this idea, how, so how do you work with them about like embracing fear? Are there other techniques that, that you show them to do, or is it really just trying to reconfigure how you uh, look at it? Yeah. And look at it. Yeah. I think that it really, I mean, I know this is not <laughs> the answer. Uh, maybe you were looking for, but it really just depends on the person, right? Um, Because for some people, it's just, you know, something that's potentially in their subconscious that we work on through hypnotherapy, through NLP, through other things. For other people, it's as simple as just no one's ever bothered to ask them the question, why does that scare you, right? So I think that the the tactics just depends on kind of what the objective is. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the times, what I see is really common that people are scared of that they don't realize. And this is one of those like conscious shifts that can be simple, not easy, but simple to make is that people don't realize that what they're really just scared of is not having validation in the decisions that they're making, because we all want to feel competent and we all want to feel like we know what we're doing with our lives. 
And a lot of what scares us a lot of the time is that feeling that we're going to be viewed as incompetent. So once you actually just realize that and you're like, oh, I'm not incompetent and I don't have to be scared that other people will see me that way, then I think you can see a lot of shifts happen on the conscious level. And then obviously for some people, there's a lot of work to be done subconscious as well. Okay. So with everything that you have done and experienced so far, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? Uh, don't take advice from people who don't have the results that you want, for sure. Oh, interesting. And where, I guess, could you go in a little more detail about that? On where yeah, you of course. heard that and how that's helped you? Yeah, I think that, um, to be completely honest, I think a lot of that has helped me in the way that I relate to other people and in the relationships that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and really in my romantic relationship, I think that's one of the best examples of it is I spent a lot of time listening to people who quite honestly didn't have the results I have. And by that, I don't mean that someone who's divorced can't give me marital advice. That is not what I mean at all, because (laughs) for sure, I do believe that that person's opinions have value. But a lot of the times, the people that naysay and the people that have all kinds of ideas are people that have never done the thing that you're trying to do. So especially as a person, like for example, for a lot of people, when they break into entrepreneurship, they're the first in their family to do so, right? And you have so much noise around you from, oh, this won't work, or oh, why do you do this, or blah, 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 blah. And if you can just sit down and, and really, as I did when I first heard this, and, and ask myself, like, do any of these people, like, have they done what I'm trying to do right now? And the answer is no, then I can take the care that they've given to me, right? Like I can appreciate that they cared enough to tell me those things and to look out for me, but I don't have to take their word as fact and I don't have to let their doubt become my doubt. Well, Camilla, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to get a hold of you, see what you're doing and uh, potentially work with you, where are the best places they can go to do that? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Yuri. This was really fun. Um, and I appreciate your time as well today. And obviously you, if you're listening to this, I mega appreciate you too. If you want to connect further, my website, camillaarinudo.com, one L and Camilla are always two in Ari, uh, is a great place to find me in order to kind of figure out what I'm up to, what offerings I have right now. And then if you want to laugh at me, um, which I do fairly often, almost on the daily, feel free to join me on Instagram, Camilla Arinudo there as well, um, because I'm usually posting either something insightful or something really embarrassing. So take your pick um, and let's have fun. Wonderful. All right. And, and I, so I will also uh, post both of those links in the show notes so people can click right through. Awesome. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.